Welcome to BuildCast, brought to you by BuildTank Inc. and our distribution partner, Construction Instruction. Our conversations aim to be the catalyst for innovation, a meeting place for ideas, and the driving force to take sustainable building practices to mainstream building. Paul Raymer comes from a long line of inventors, innovators, and entrepreneurs. He's added writing to the mix and has published four novels, three of which follow his protagonist, John McGuire's, Trials with Buildings and Murder, and three handbooks, including the Residential Ventilation Handbook that gives one the information needed to select and incorporate the right ventilation system into any home. Paul's not an engineer, but he has the mindset of one. Taking a correspondence course, Consumer Electronics launched his entrepreneurial and inventing career. He started several companies and invented and developed a wide variety of products in a number of different industries. Around the time of the oil embargo in the late 1970s, Paul was swept into the magic of building science when he moved into an old inn on Cape Cod that needed a lot of work and a lot of energy to keep warm. He's become an expert in ventilation and is currently working with the consulting firm ICF and the EPA's Indoor Air Plus program. I think writing, however, is Paul's real passion, so I put a link in the show notes to all his books. He says that writing is the transfer of information and and ideas. It's like writing music or painting or photography or any other type of art. The right words can create sounds or smells or images or even people. It weaves together the magic of imagination in other human minds. Paul was a joy to speak with, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm here with Paul Raymer. How are you, Paul? Happy New Year. I'm fine. Thanks, Robbie. Happy New Year. Back to you. Paul, I was very excited to speak to you. and doing a little research because I've known you for quite a while, but I realized that I don't know you at all. (laughs) You're quite the (laughs) Renaissance man, writing books and doing a lot of building science and ventilation and work. So you've, you've done quite a bit there. I wanted to start, I guess, at the beginning. You were an English major and have been writing quite a bit. So what's, what's up with that? Yeah, well, that's, I got a degree in uh, creative writing. And, you know, when you get out of college and you have a degree like that, you really have no idea what you're going to do with your life. Yeah. I was a history and political science major and somehow got into buildings and building science. So I know how that goes. Yeah. In fact, I I had uh, somebody in my dentist's office this morning asking me about how I got there because her son was in the technical school and you know, then, of course, as soon as she asked that, she put things in my mouth. and <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but but you, um, haven't left, you haven't left writing and creative writing behind, it sounds like. No, I, you know, I was living in New York and I uh, wanted to get back into it and, uh, many years ago. And uh, so I decided to take a correspondence course in electronics, which I thought would be you know, an interesting subject for uh, a book at some point, because people going to correspondence schools. And that got me into electronics. And I moved to Cambridge and started working for the Advent Corporation 
working on their big projection TVs many, many years ago. And then they kind of went crazy. And so I decided that what I liked was electronics and I, I liked boats. And so I thought I'd move to the Cape and work in marine electronics. And so uh, worked with underwater acoustics, which was fascinating stuff, positioning oil rigs and things. And then the oil crisis came along and I lived in, I still live in the same house, but uh, it had no, no insulation and no storm windows. And my first wife didn't want to turn on the heat. <laughs> I thought I'd better figure out how to, how to get warm. And so that led me into building science. Um, I was going to say either building science or 20 kids. Yeah, well, that's a good, you know, it could be done that way. <laughs> yeah. 20 kids poses other problems, but. Yes. Yeah. But, so you're in Massachusetts, right? Cape and, Cod. Yep. And Cape Cod. So half of your your dream came true being in an area next to boats. But the electronics yeah. part changed. The electronics part changed, but you know, probably the it was really fascinating to me in those days. Uh, microprocessors were at their infancy, and so I had a an engineer that was working for me when I started my first company that programmed the micro lined legal pads in ones and zeros. Step after step after step, one zero one zero one one, you know all that, and trying to debug something like that was was just incredible. But you know we were beginning to f figure out we did some really pretty incredible things with measuring temperature differentials and regulating the velocity of airflow based on the temperature differential and opening and closing dampers and you know worked with. A lot of the things that seem to be popping back up now, like earth tubes and envelope yeah. houses, and you know, it was really pretty amazing stuff that we were working on. Yeah, and so this came out of basically being cold in your house. How did you get from being cold in your house to working on houses and discovering building science? Well, working on this house, gave me the opportunity to try all sorts of things. It's a was a 17 room in when I bought it. So it's got lots of rooms. <laughs> yeah. Um lots of heat loss. And uh we just took the candles out of the window yesterday, about 40 windows in the house. And but it was a, a kind of thing that we could experiment on. So we could and on top of that, of course, it's in a historic district. So we uh, had to do things that complied with historic society regulations and stuff. We built sunrooms on the uh, south side of houses. And I worked with uh, passive hybrid houses and designed these microprocessor-based controls uh, for them, which was an adventure. It sounds like the technical side of measurement and building science is, is what's intrigued you over time. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's a fantastic thing. To, I mean, I, I'm not an engineer, right? So, I mean, I, I don't have those bookends. I, I don't know that I can't do stuff. Yeah. 
I mean, we designed uh, a measuring device that measured the R value of the wall using acoustics um, because I would, had background in acoustics and, you know, I could put a sound source on the outside of the house and a receiver on the inside and measure the transmission of the sound level through the wall and stuff. It was, nobody said that wouldn't work. <laughs> what What's happened to that? It seems like that could be really useful in the world of uh, energy ratings and existing homes and Hopefully we'll, we'll start actually retrofitting and creating more efficient existing homes. That that could be really useful. You know, as I sit here talking to you, I'm looking up on my bookshelves across from my desk, and I mean there are over 40 years of research, not mine, but tons of, of information that has gone by the boards uh, over the years, and that's another part of, of business, you know. It's uh, one of the things about the early days of, of energy uh, building science stuff was that, that making products was kind of frowned upon. Um, it was looked at like, you know, the energy from the sun is free, so all this stuff should be free. And, but you can't make a company survive <laughs> yeah. without making money. And so you have to charge people things. And so there are a lot of products that uh, just didn't get adequate funding uh, to, you know, make them practical. Yeah. And you had a series of companies in the energy efficiency realm. Is that true? Yeah, I've been part of starting 10 different companies over the years. And um, what kind of companies were they? Everything from the companies that made the controls or ventilation systems that I started with, which was called Weather Energy Systems, because I figured it, anything that changes is a source of energy and yeah. what changes more than the weather, and got hit by lawsuits and things um, that people thought I was infringing and, you know, battled through those things. Ventilation companies, I worked, you know, had a whole series of 25 different product lines that I introduced um, in ventilation field and working with companies that were making modular homes. And I was part of a team called the Build uh, that Building America put together called the Hickory Consortium. And we designed various uh, heat moving projects for them over the years. And one of the things I realized there was that if you're a small company, you know that the heating system is going to break in North Dakota on Christmas Eve. Yes. And how was I going to service that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you really need a network like Carrier or something else to be able to actually produce, even if they're really good products, to produce them and get them out on a wide basis like that. So did you change your philosophy and try to uh, develop a product and then sell it to a company like a carrier? Um, well, that was a government-funded project, and so the government had a say in what we did with things. But I, I was thinking about doing that, but you know, I moved on. The Building America program, the Hickory Consortium, was not renewed as a partner. They thought we were too crazy. You know, we were 
did a lot of very crazy things. So personally, you know, that running companies is is a real burden. Um, I'm not getting a regular paycheck, um, and when you uh, uh, have to keep going out and raising funds and you know you, you probably experience that with what you do yeah yeah what what's an example of a crazy thing that you tried to investigate with the hickory group well i think one of the most interesting things which i don't think is particularly crazy but that the uh, government didn't understand was we used a process called system dynamics modeling have you heard of that I have not. It Systems Dynamics is absolutely phenomenal tool that allows you to build a, a structure of anything you're working on with feedback loops. And they actually teach fantastic courses of it at MIT and stuff. And you can actually model almost anything mathematically that way. And what it does is it we were trying to figure out the most efficient way to build homes from the beginning to the fact that when you were taking them apart. And you can model all of that um, uh, with a system dynamics model and find out where the key leverage points are, where you should actually put your most effort in. And the government didn't understand that, you know, why we were trying, they just wanted us to go ahead and do this stuff, not, not figure out, you know, all of that stuff. But just, I really wish I was more of an expert on system dynamics. I would love to introduce, you know, at these conferences that we go to, it would be interesting to teach a basics course in system dynamics modeling. I, I guess I'm not crystal clear on what system dynamics modeling would uh, produce for us? Well, for example, if you uh, are a convenience store and you sell beer in the convenience store and <clears throat> you get 12 cases of sloppy beer every week and then Tom Brady decides that he really loves sloppy beer and so all of a sudden you have this major demand so the feedback loop goes back to the manufacturer who starts producing more sloppy beer and sending it to you. And then somebody gets sick and that's a negative feedback loop and that decreases that. And so you end up with all these extra cases of beer that you didn't need. Um, and so it really tells you how to, to model, how to pace that kind of flow. And you can do the same thing with housing you can basically say, how do you sell more houses? Well, people like, you know, they say location, location, location. But, you know, if you have a, what we figured is we wanted to build more efficient uh, houses, which generally meant smaller houses um, and the market wanted bigger houses. And so we, <laughs> we had these experts from MIT who told us that, what we needed to do was build bigger houses in better neighborhoods, which we already knew you didn't need a computer yeah. to actually model yeah. that. But it would be a it's a useful tool for for doing uh, things like that. Interesting. And then you you seem to continue to move more and more towards ventilation as a specialty. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And what fascinated you about ventilation? Well, it's air movement. I mean, you're as aware, aware of that as I am, but air movement is, is so critical. And certainly in the health of, of uh, homes, uh, getting the air movement going properly. And when one of my first more successful projects was a control for uh, ventilation systems for houses that was a timer because out in the Pacific Northwest, the, gov the state government decided that we need, they needed to uh, replace a lot of the fans in mobile homes. And so they were going in and tearing out um, the seven inch round fans in the ceilings of mobile homes and replacing them with a Panasonic fan. So that the fan they were taking out cost a bit less than $15. And the Panasonic, with all the modifications they needed to do to the roof and the control systems and making sure that people use them, uh, cost hundreds. Um, and so I figured we could make one that was a seven inch replacement for what was in the ceiling that you could pop out the old one and then put a better control on it. And so it, I developed a microprocessor based control that cycled that fan on and off um, throughout the day to replace the air. And I thought that was a great thing to do. <laughs> yeah. And I have, to modify the ASHRAE 62 standard to allow that to be in there. But over the years, I've come to the conclusion that you don't need a control. You just put it in, turn it on, let it run <laughs> without the control. Just run continuously. Run continuously. Now that's all, all very, and that's a, there's so many complexities in that simplification, but my goal was to actually provide some ventilation, which, which was I felt and still feel is better than no ventilation at all. Yeah. So you're not as concerned about where the air is coming back into the home, as long as you're getting at least some. And particularly, right. it, it sounds like in that population, mobile homes and whatnot, your ability to tighten them up significantly is probably limited. Yeah, and of course, you know, as well as I do, it's gotten, I mean, it's, we've learned so much about air mo mo motion. And and that was one of the first projects that I worked on was at a radio station here in Falmouth where their transmitters were overheating the radio station. And so the guy who ran the station was cognizant enough that he thought he could use that heat to heat the building. And so he had me design fans to circulate some of the air from the transmitters down into the basement offices to provide heat. And the problem there is that you can't run too much. If you cool the transmitters down too much, they don't, they break. Yeah. <laughs> so the idea was to come up with a way to control them and not only that, but to reverse them so that the heat, the air from the basement rooms could actually be used to cool the transmitter. And so I had to find a fan and work out a duct system that would allow the fans to be reversed on control. 
and I knew absolutely nothing about airflow at that point. I just figured if you have a fan, you can blow the air anywhere you want. You don't have to worry about static pressure or anything else. So another one of my flaws in the early days of ignorance. But it yeah. worked. They did it. Yeah. What do you think are the common misconceptions about airflow that have been overcome and solved and we're working on the right conclusions now? Good, good question. One thing that I've learned uh, is that in those early days of popular science magazine, <laughs> the, the diagrams always had arrows telling you where the air was supposed to flow. And, you know, it, it's uh, air, as you know, doesn't flow by the arrows. It goes the way physics says it should. And I think that there is going to HVAC systems, you know, understanding how doing the manual J calculations and the other things to properly size the systems and those airflows are are critical. And you know, so what have we learned? I I there we've learned a tremendous amount about how to make fans quiet. And a lot of the new BAP fans are certainly with DC motors are not quiet because they're not installed properly. The resistance in as the fan picks up speed it increases its sound level. I think people are learning a lot about that. And interestingly, I'm working on a project now with ICF uh, for the review of regulations in the European Union on ventilation. And part of their goal is to save a lot of energy by making more efficient products. And then the, the issue there too, of course, brings in the consumer understanding of what products to buy and how to use them properly. I mean, I think we've continually dropped the ball on consumer education. And I mean, you do a lot of work in that area yourself, so. Yeah, I think that understanding how consumers use the, the products that we're installing is is crucial and quiet fans is, is huge amongst those problems. When they're not quiet, they're either turned off or, or someone's complaining. So we should be learning a lot uh, in the near future here as the 2021 IECC starts getting adopted because in theory, it's, there's now a requirement to actually test the flow of bath fans, kitchen hoods and whole house control mechanical ventilation that it's meeting those minimum flow requirements. Mm -hmm. So like we've learned with Energy Star, most bath fans don't actually push 50 CFM of air not necessarily because of the fan itself, but because of the duct that's connected to it. Right. The installation. And yeah, I think that's what you were getting at with the, the installation and making it louder. Louder is right. just a symptom, right? Yeah. Yeah. And how do you measure those flows? You know, that's the one that gets to me quite a bit. It was interesting in the 380 standard. I think I remember that, right? right? The ResNet um, 380 standard, yeah. Yeah, the original bath or the bath airflow testing didn't have provide any setup requirements. So that, you know, you, it not unlike a blower door test, they didn't require 
you know, all the windows and doors to be closed? And, you know, do you test it with the bathroom door open or the bathroom door closed or, you know, all of those things, they, all of those factors need to be considered if you're going to actually measure the, the airflow. And what do you use? What kind of a product? I mean, the margin of error, I did an interesting project over at Bristol Community College down here where I had a test house set up and I had uh, a class where I broke it up into teams and gave them all different fan products and installations to test with different test devices. And the variation in their results was just, you know, what you expect. I mean, they're yeah. all over the map. So I think that's going to be a problem. You know, it depends on how accurate the IECC wants wants it to be. Yeah. Well, I think they want it to just ensure that a bath fan, for example, can move 50 CFM of air if it's run intermittently. So what you're saying is, do you feel like a flow box is an adequate tool to, to measure a bath fan? Yeah, Flowbox does does a pretty good job. Um, yeah, I mean certainly, you know, the engineering behind it is is pretty clear. Yeah, I don't think that they reference currently the 380 standard for for measurements. But do you know if the 380 standard has been adapted for that that type of measurement, bath fan measurements, to say if the, for example, the bathroom door should be open or shut? I don't know that they've modified it. I haven't looked at it. I put in a, a sort of a notice to tell them that they really needed to do that. Um, and, you know. How should the house be set up to measure a bath fan? First of all, it should be set up the same way every time, right? Yeah. I mean, at least you got to start with consistency. You know, I think there somebody ought to write down just the way you do a blower door. I mean, you have consistency in how you test a house with a blower door and you need to have the same kind of house set up to test a bath fan. I think that what you're trying to do, if you're basically trying to see how well the fan extracts 50 CFM from a bathroom, then it probably should be with the bathroom door closed, the bathroom window closed. Um, I have a whole protocol actually that I wrote up uh, for all of that when I you know, was teaching it regularly. Well, it sounds like you weren't on the, the ResNet 380 standard committee, development committee. I was not, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you are on the ASHRAE committee? I've uh, been on committee? ASHRAE 62 now for, gosh, it's gotta be close to 20 years. The ASHRAE 62.2 is, is the standard for whole house ventilation. What's it like being on a committee like that? <laughs> well, especially for me, Robbie, as a non-engineer, the only reason I really stay on it is because I think they need people with some common sense, because I think a lot of the stuff that gets written in there is stuff that's just not practical, you know, in a real house with real people. What's it like? It's I probably should speak up more often, but I don't like to delay things. Um, but I think that over the years since I've been part of it, it it was ASHRAE 6289 was 
very detailed in terms of actual pollutant levels. Um, then when it transitioned over to 62.2 and 62.1, it got what ASHRAE actually called being bubified to make it simple. And it got cut back quite a bit. And now over the past 15 years or so, it's crept up back up, adding more and more uh, requirements, which are more and more challenging. And I think that a lot, one of the things there is really interesting too, is, you know, we've been teaching the house as a system for years. And I think that ASHRAE 62.2 is a system. I look at it that way. And I think that a lot of people actually just extract things like the airflow rates um, and ignore virtually everything else. So Yeah, I, I think that's very true. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's that's what I got out of ASHRAE 62.2 is that it's it's a means for calculating the airflow rate that a house needs if you're running a whole house mechanical ventilation continuously and then how you can adjust that if you run it periodically. So what else is it actually doing? It ignored infiltration for a long time. It sort of worked in the, the numbers to make it comp more comprehensive with with the uh, blower door testing. So it can be refined uh, so that the numbers are include the blower door, uh, the leakage from the house, which makes sense. There is a lot of stuff about, well, there's actually stuff about system documentation. Um, there's a whole section on, you should be able to walk into a house that has an ASHRAE 62.2 ventilation system in it and get a report on how the system was designed, how it was installed, what was what it was expected to do. All of that is supposed to be documented. Um, and then there's also stuff about leakage between buildings or between spaces, uh, air tightness. You know, there's, there's a whole lot of sections in there that gets more tweaked more and more all the time. So that would be for apartment buildings and multifamily buildings, that part? Well, I think it's also leakage from the garage. Okay. You know, and places where you don't want the air to come from. Yeah. Obviously. My guess is that, you know, ASHRAE 62.2 is not a code. And when the code adopts it, they adopt, adopt it specifically and not in its entirety, I guess. Right. That's really what we're saying. Yeah. Right. So going back to what you were saying with regards to incorporating house leakage in the flow rate, the house leakage is a random amount of leakage, whereas the ventilation rate is a, you know, is a manufactured flow rate using a fan at a specific level there. So why, why is it important to include the infiltration rate into that equation? Well, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, one CFM in equals one CFM out. Um, yes. And so if you want to, particularly as we've gotten tighter and tighter in the houses, if you want the fan to actually extract 50 CFM from the bathroom, 50 CFM has to come into that bathroom from somewhere. And so if you are looking for 
Um, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here. You know, I mean, you know all this stuff. <laughs> but yeah, but it's good to it's good to hear it. You know, that is why interesting. It's really interesting uh, in terms of uh, balanced ventilation. One of the things that I've really come to a terms with is the balanced ventilation brings mechanically brings in the same should bring in the same amount of air as it extracts. Um, and what that does is neutralize the pressure on the pressure plane. So if you actually have effective balanced ventilation, then you are you basically eliminated both infiltration and exfiltration. And so that part of ASHRAE 62 basically goes away when you're using a, you know, this is an ideal world. <laughs> yeah, but I guess it goes back to my question is that if you have a balanced ventilation system, that doesn't negate the possibility of infiltration and exfiltration because the wind's going to blow or bath fan is going to be used or you're creating a pressure imbalance with uh, supply and return of your HVAC system. So how is it actually contributing to the ventilation rate? So you get down to you start with a perfect world. Yeah. So we have a tight box that has no fans in it, um, and it's in a place where there's no wind, um, no temperature changes. It's just a box with a balanced ventilation system. So the balanced ventilation system means that the same amount of air comes in as goes out, and so that you're neutralizing all the pressures. Now, you start throwing in all the other mechanics that may happen, you certainly unsettle that balance. And then that goes to all of the issues of programs that are requiring balanced ventilation systems in houses. It's, it's only a very, it's a part of the ventilation equation. Certainly, if you turn on a, I mean, so often in these houses, like a 400 CFM range hood. I mean, there was one manufacturer who actually was making 390 CFM range hoods, so they didn't have to meet the code requirement of makeup here. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But then, you know, all the other elements that all add up to making that, you have to start with the most simple um, situation, I think, and then all the other complexities come with years of, and that's something absolutely fascinating you could model with system dynamics. Yeah, okay. It, it just seems that going back to kind of the practicality of and use, being able to use a standard or a code or something, we're not gonna, it, it's very unlikely, I guess, that somebody's going to install a balanced ventilation system and take into account also the the random airflow in and out from infiltration to exfiltration. We know that balanced ventilation gives us increased control and predictability of the airflow. Wouldn't that be enough for the masses? It probably would be. Interestingly, I am in the process of putting together 
a ventilation technician certification program through um, HARCA. Familiar with HARCA? It's part of the what is HARCA? HARCA is the Healthy Air Research and Certification Authority. It's a subsection of, of the Home Ventilating Institute. Okay. And they're supposed to be doing this kind of stuff. And so my goal with the uh, ventilation technician certification is basically to provide a, a way of a program like Indoor Air Plus that I work with with EPA to when they put in a ventilation requirement, they can say, put in a balanced ventilation by a ventilation certified ventilation technician. And that, that program has, um, there are levels, they're like the um, uh, 608 refrigerant uh, licensing. So okay. you could actually specify a ventilation technician with a certification that understands balanced ventilation and so on. So it's a way we've never had a certified uh, ventilation technician requirement. Um, and so people yeah. are putting in a lot of these uh, HRVs based on what their salesman tells them uh, about how it works. And as you just pointed out, you know, there are so many other things going on. And, you know, if you hook up your HRV to the return side of your air handler uh, as a way of trying to sneaky use the ducts, um, how do you measure that flow? You know, how do you know how much air is actually new air is going into the house and that kind of thing? Yeah. The so Canadians you are, do it a lot better than we do. Yeah. Well, okay, let's go there. What What are they doing better than what we're doing? Well, the Canadian 380 standard, which is really good one is based on ventilation rates by room and so they don't do it by the house they figure out how many cfm of fresh air is needed in a bedroom and how much is needed in a, a living room and how much it needs to be extracted from the kitchen and how much extracted from the bathroom and that that's how they size the their ventilation systems which makes much more sense so each room has its own independent ventilation system? Right. So like a ERV or HRV, it's not ducted to multiple rooms. You'd have an individual No, it's ducted, ducted to, but as you know, just like with a- Then it would be balanced. An HVAC system, you can size, you know, the ducting and the grill and all that stuff so that you're actually are having the right amount of ventilation flow as yeah. You know, we do that for heating systems. Why can't we do that for ventilation systems? I'm going to be uh, shocked because of this, Robbie, you know, and I. Yeah. <laughs> Did, okay. Have you been to any of the Canadian houses and seen it in action? Um, actually, in the state of Maine, they have been encouraging people to use the 380 standard uh, for their sizing systems. Huh. Interesting. So how is this type of work that you're doing impacting and influencing your work with the EPA's Indoor Air Plus program? <laughs> I said, I, I don't know how to say how that's, I mean, it's been, the, the Indoor Air Plus program is pretty comprehensive. 
from moisture control, radon, ventilation, heating, pollutants, materials, all of that stuff. And so it it, it goes to the it's a system, you know, yeah. again. And it all of that stuff is together. And so it's led me to or allowed me to actually get beyond just fans and airflows. So how long have you been working with the indoor air plus program now? Um, six years. So you're looking at the program its entirety. I guess you've probably helped guide it through its uh, new version to version two. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And so it's not just ventilation really that, that you're interested in, in that program. No, no. Um, I mean, I've, for example, with radon, I've come to the conclusion that every new house should have a, a at least a passive radon pipe. When you see those cloud chamber pictures of the little particles smashing into things, it uh, <laughs> leads you to worry about your lungs. Explain that. I haven't seen that. You haven't seen those? Oh, cloud no. chamber. Oh, my God. They're they're just amazing how you they actually they're online you can find uh, cloud chambers where they um, put they put it in a uh, like a regular house and you'll see the little particles firing off and when he takes it down into a, a basement where there is a elevated level of radon the number of particles firing off is just extraordinary um, and it just you know, just like anything else, if you don't see it, you don't really believe it. And that really yeah. convinced me that, you know, I don't want those things smashing into my lungs. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We've got ventilation. We've got radon. We've got other indoor pollutants. The, the program really, I guess, focuses primarily on prevention of molds and mildews. So water control and then materials that are introduced into the home as well. Right. Carbon monoxide and other pollutants from, you know, it's now expanded from just single family to more multifamily work too, which obviously is much more complicated. Mm -hmm. Great. Are you still working with Hioka uh, Solutions, your company? Yeah, Hioka, my wife still runs it. Um, okay. and she Somehow she's not really found that that's the thing she wants to spend her life with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so Hayoka is it's still there, but I use it basically as a vehicle for things like teaching when I do uh, subcontract teaching work and that kind of thing. And what solutions were you trying to create with Hayoka? Well, the interesting part when Hayoka started was that we were, I was developing products for people, companies that had tried normal development paths. Um, and because of my lack of engineering <laughs> restriction, I could think about it in ways that they hadn't thought about. And so that's where the original concept was. Uh, Hayoka is Lakota. Uh, Indian. Did you know? You had told me once before, but remind me. It basically is a contrarian, somebody who looks at everything backwards. If it's too hot, 
he says it's too cold and that kind of thing. There's an interesting Hayoka in the movie Little Big Man, uh, yeah. who's actually riding his horse backwards and stuff. So, so that's what it was basically for creativity. And one of the things I was really interested in was uh, in tiny houses. Um, and it had been my concept that we would, living in a place like Cape Cod, where we concentrate on boats, and boats are very small spaces in which the uh, every square inch or cubic inch is optimized uh, for efficiency. And that goes directly into small houses, which are limited spaces. And so I thought this would be a perfect place to create a small house construction company, but uh, didn't put all that together with the right economics to, to make that happen. But yeah, yeah. Because so with all your efforts in this arena, did did that culminate in writing your book on ventilation? Yeah, I mean, I, and I think I should update that. But then that came back around, of course, to yeah. uh, fiction, because there are so many opportunities with houses to kill people. Um, it makes an, an interesting weapon. Um, yeah. And I thought, too, that, you know, there are books and TV shows about his um, heroic lawyers and police officers. And why not a heroic uh, building scientist? You know, so that's uh, it made, made fertile ground for that. Is that the theme of some of your novels? Yeah. Yeah, I have to read it. So they're kind of mystery novels with with a building science lead, yes. lead character. Yeah, it is. It's uh, well, the uh, first one in the series is called Death at the Edge of the Diamond, uh, which is a young base guy who comes up to play baseball in the Cape Cod Baseball League. Uh -huh. um, and has a summer job working for a contractor. And the woman whose house they're working on is murdered in the house. And his contractor boss gets blamed uh, for bad workmanship. And my protagonist has to save him basically from that. And the second book, five years later, it's called Second Law, as I really like the concept of Second Law. Um, and uh, he comes back to the Cape for a building science conference. And one of the participants is buried in expandable foam. And they have to figure out, you know, who did it from that standpoint. Yeah. The one I'm working on now is called Confined Spaces, which I hope to put out next summer. And uh, it's the same protagonist five years later, 90, 1989, essentially, who uh, is trying to fund his small construction business and ends up with an old classmates who turns out to be a, a real villain. Wow, they sound they sound very good. I so I'm, I'm trying to think how how you got to that. I guess uh, you know going back to the beginning, your English major and wanting to be creative and do creative writing. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's really fascinating um, putting these things together because they're puzzles. I mean, just the creative process is a puzzle, but the actual stories are learning learning how to craft the stories together is is a skill that I'm really enjoying. Actually. Yeah. And also your engineering, your self-made engineer that puts puzzles <laughs> together and creates solutions for these niches that we, we need to figure out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Looking at doing a session at Energy Out West next summer on uh, using the uh, building scientist in as the uh, solving the mystery in a house. I'm going to give the class all the pieces of the mystery and get them help me walk through how to solve the problem. Because, you, you know, you know this. I mean, a lot of this stuff is really like CSI, right? I mean, you're yeah. you're looking at the problems in the house and you you see all the things, you know all that information. And it's not always obvious as to what's causing the problem. Hopefully it's not always killing people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Where's the Energy at in the West conference? The Energy Out West conference? It, I think it's going to be in Austin next summer in August. Okay. Well, we'll look, look forward to that class. I'll have to get down there. Yeah. Well, I think I've taken a, a enough of your time. I really appreciate you being on the Buildcast and letting us understand kind of the trajectory of your career and, and your emphasis in writing as well as uh, ventilation. Well, thanks, Robbie. You've, congratulations to you, too. I mean, you do so much. It's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to BuildCast, brought to you by Build Tank Inc. and our distribution partner, Construction Instruction. Make sure to follow and review BuildCast on your favorite podcast platform. To see show notes and to learn more about our guests and other episodes, visit the BuildCast webpage at buildtankinc.com. I hope you let me know if you have any suggestions to make BuildCast better or would like to hear more about a specific topic or person. You can always reach out to me on Instagram or LinkedIn. Thanks much to Ben Sound for our music and Ashley Owen for editing it. Until next time, thanks again and continue to think 0 to 360.